the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Dwayne Patterson. In this week on the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Today, clarity on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. Any honest person would say there's a 99.9% likely chance that it was a lab leak. And we have clarity as well about why the narrative shifted so abruptly to wet market and natural transmission. Fauci commissioned the study specifically to come to the conclusion that it wasn't an engineered virus. Arizona Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, who sits on the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. The National Institute of Health, they deleted the sequences of what was being studied in the Wuhan lab. Plus, Senator Josh Hawley pressed Attorney General Merrick Garland. You are the Attorney General of the United States. You are in charge of the Justice Department. And yes, sir, you are responsible. So give me an answer. The FBI does not agree with your description. I'm not asking about the FBI. You are the Attorney General. Give me your answer. We'll hear from the Missouri Senator. He couldn't answer the facts because there is no defense for what they're doing. All this and more. I'm Dwayne Patterson, longtime producer for Hugh Hewitt, contributor and columnist to HotAir.com, and guest host for Hugh. Great to be with you. Catch the Hugh Hewitt Show each weekday morning live, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter, at Radioblogger. And follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We're going to start this week on the growing amount of clarity we've received in recent weeks on COVID-19. A couple of weeks ago now, many of you will remember both the FBI and the Department of Energy came to the conclusion that the most likely source for origins of the pandemic came from a lab leak in Wuhan, China. Some of you are muttering under your breath, finally. But why did it take so long? And at the early stages of the pandemic, why did the coverage from elite media shift so abruptly away from lab leak to wet market and natural transmission from animal to human? We're getting more clarity on that picture, too. Dr. Marty Makari of Johns Hopkins summed it up well for Paul Jagot on the Journal Editorial Report. Way in here on the COVID origin story, where do you come out on what you, where do you think the preponderance of evidence is on where it came from? Well, I think any honest person would say there's a 99.9% likely chance that it was a lab leak. In fact, two top virologists that were convened by Dr. Fauci himself in January of 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, told him exactly that in notes obtained by Brett Barrett, Fox News. And it's really a no-brainer. There there was a lab leak in 1977 in China that resulted in an epidemic. The epicenter of the world was five miles from this lab, and all the documents were destroyed. The lab records and the original doctors who treated the patients were arrested and forced to sign documents. The only (laughs) reason this is a controversy, Paul, is that uh, it's embarrassing that we were funding that lab. That is what has made it political. I turn to my friend, Ed Morrissey, managing editor at HotAir.com. 
Ed Morrissey, we instinctively knew all along that the virus had to leak from the lab. I mean, we we just knew, regardless of the story we were being told. We are relatively sure that Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins were lying to us all the way along about this whole thing. Right. And I'm way too cynical to think that a hearing is going to give me the justice that I think I won in this. But what will a Jim Jordan hearing give the American people? Well, I think it's going to put people on the record saying, yeah, there there was a cover-up. And the cover-up began right away. I mean, Jim Jordan's talking about this. The New York Post reported that uh, Anthony Fauci ordered a SNAP study to conclude that this was a naturally evolving version of a virus so that they could go out. And this is in February 2020, right? right? This is right after he got those emails from those two scientists, commissioned a study, and then sometime in March, I forget what it was, the uh, Post has the sequencing on this. Basically goes, holds a, I think it was early April, holds a, pr- a press conference in early April saying, oh, we have a study that shows that, that this was natural evolution of this virus, and we can we can make the study authors available to you. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with this study. It's an independent study. It's nonsense. He actually emails that Jim Jordan's committee is now uh, making public, shows that Fauci commissioned the study specifically to come to the conclusion that it wasn't an engineered virus. This has been a cover-up, and the reason for the cover-up, Dwayne, is that in December 2017, Francis Collins, who is head of the NIH, yep. countermanded a ban on gain-of-function re- funding, gain-of-function research, U.S. funding for gain-of-function research that had been in place since 2014. After the Cambridge Working Group basically predicted exactly what happened in this, in this pandemic is that it would uh, lab leaks are not uncommon, pathogens escape, and if you're doing gain-of-function research on viruses like this, the likelihood is that they would be wildly transmissible and create global pandemics. Less than two years after Francis Collins uh, ended that moratorium on funding for gain-of-function research, we had a global pandemic exactly the way the Cambridge Working Group killed millions of people. And so you had Collins who lifted the gain-of-function research. You had Fauci who was using grant money to fund it. These two guys were still in charge when this happened, and they were trying to keep from being accountable for this pandemic. Now, I don't think that they maliciously started a pandemic, but they're incompetent. And what happened was that they covered up their incompetence, and the media went along with it, and the government went along with it, both in the Trump and yep. in the Biden administration. Totally agreed. Is, is, are, is there going to be any penalty paid by them of any kind at all? Other than reputation, other than his history, no, I don't think. And I'm not even sure that's going to be the case with half the country. The left still thinks that that Fauci walks on water. Right. Yes. They're still doing they're still doing uh, documentaries, you know, hailing Fauci. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw that one that was produced last year. But yeah, yeah, just terrible propaganda. Arizona Representative Debbie Lesko sits on the House Select Subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. She was a guest on the Trish Reagan show. Why is it that, that so many people were so quick, including Dr. Fauci, to totally dismiss the idea that maybe it might have come from the Wuhan lab? You know, I don't know for sure. I can guess. I can make an educated guess. I think that Anthony Fauci and the NIH director at the time, Francis Collins, were concerned that the American people would find out that U.S. taxpayer dollars were being used to fund EcoHealth Alliance, which in turn funded the Wuhan lab. And they're 
to this day denying that the grant funding uh, was used for coronavirus research, even though other scientists believe that it is. It was amazing how quickly, and, and I certainly experienced it as a journalist, just trying to dig in and get to the bottom of the story. I can tell you, Representative Lesko, I had sources as far back as January of 2020 and into early February, when apparently Anthony Fauci first learned of this, that were saying, look, it's possible. They didn't believe at the time, and I know there's conflicting reports on this as well, but they didn't believe it was deliberate. They believed that there was some kind of error that had happened at this lab. And so... This was certainly out there among people at Treasury, state, in the so-called deep state, if you would. This, this thesis was out there, and yet it wasn't allowed to go anywhere. There was an effort by social media to shut it down. There was an effort. Now we've learned, thanks to you and your subcommittee, by Dr. Fauci to shut it down. Walk us through some of those emails that, that lead you to believe he was somehow um, – responsible for the initial big study, the big one that said, no, no link here. Well, we just recently had a uh, roundtable in our subcommittee, select subcommittee on coronavirus. And Dr. Macri, who's from John Hopkins University, said he totally believes that it is from the lab, origin from the lab. He testified that two uh, doctors from China were originally arrested and then told that they could not disclose any information about what was happening in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Then two U.S. top virologists initially said that they believe that coronavirus came from the lab But then days later said to the media that, oh, no, it didn't come from the lab. And consequently, they received $9 million in NIH grant funds, which seems a little convenient. Also, I I just find it unconscionable that the Chinese scientists contacted the National Institute of Health here in the United States and said, take down the sequences of what we were studying, and NIH did it. They deleted the sequences of what was being studied in the Wuhan lab. One of the concerns here I have is also, if we were given this money, and it sounds like we absolutely were, through EcoHealth, $600,000 has been reported of taxpayer dollars that was going to fund this research at the Wuhan Institute. We know, right? Like we know China is not necessarily the best in terms of safety records. So why on earth would we ever encourage research at a place like that? You know, I don't understand. And that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. And you are correct. The American people have lost their faith in our agencies, the CDC, the National Institute of Health. I have lost faith in our agencies. And quite frankly, I think somebody's lying. So in the Energy and Commerce Committee hearing, of which I am the vice chair of the Oversight Committee, which also has jurisdiction over the National Institute of Health, I asked the NIH director specifically about the funding through EcoHealth to the Wuhan lab. He denied that any of the funding was used on research of coronavirus. And I asked how he knew that. 
Because on the one hand, he said they did not get the reports as was required under the grant, and they did not get the sequencing because the Chinese virologists asked them to delete it. And he continued to insist that the research that was done with the funding to EcoHealth had nothing to do with coronavirus-19. Then in the select subcommittee on COVID, I asked Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who is from the Stanford School of Medicine, if the sequences were deleted and we didn't get the reports from China, how would the NIH director know for sure that the funding that we gave to the Wuhan lab wasn't for coronavirus? And he said, there is no way that the director could know that. So either one of two is true. Either the NIH director knows what's in the sequence before it was deleted, and it had nothing to do with coronavirus, as he claims, or it possibly definitely could have been the coronavirus, and he's covering it up. And I don't know which one is true. You can catch the Trish Reagan Show on the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. He could answer the fact because there is no defense for what they're doing. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. I'm Dwayne Patterson, in this week for Hugh Hewitt as he gets some time with his grandkids. Mark Houck is a Catholic pro-life activist who has, as part of his ministry, prayed in front of abortion facilities and prayed that the women entering would reconsider their planned abortion. Whatever you think of it and him, it's not domestic terrorism. And it certainly didn't merit 25 armed FBI agents breaking into his home in October of 2021. That's just one example of the overreach we're seeing from the FBI these days under Christopher Wray, who is also under Attorney General Merrick Garland. At a meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley pressed the AG. So give me an answer. The FBI does not agree with your description. I'm not asking about the FBI. You are the attorney general. Give me your answer. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. We're supposed to hate long long guns and assault-style weapons. You're happy to deploy them against Catholics and innocent children. Happy to. And then you haul him into court and a jury acquits him in one hour. I just suggest to you that that is a disgraceful performance by your Justice Department and a disgraceful use of resources. Charlie Kirk turned to Senator Hawley on his program. Senator Hawley, expand on that. Well, listen, Charlie, I mean, here's here's the thing. In Merrick Garland's Justice Department and in Joe Biden's America, if you want to execute somebody in the streets of this country gang style, they don't do anything. If you want to smuggle fentanyl across the border and engage in human trafficking, they turn a blind eye. But if you go to church 
Or if you consider yourself a traditional Christian or a traditional Catholic or what have you, then they think that you're a terrorist and they treat you like one. This Justice Department sent 30 SWAT agents, FBI agents, to the home of this pro-life demonstrator, a law-abiding citizen in the early morning hours, to do what? To terrorize him. He was acquitted later by a jury of his peers in less than an hour. That shows you the priorities of this Justice Department. It's wrong and it needs to be exposed. Yeah, and exposing it is so important. And I'm sure that your staff and you are working behind the scenes to try to get more information from this DOJ. But, you know, Senator, at least the impression I'm getting is a smugness from Merrick Garland. No admission of, you know, taking responsibility or I don't want to say admission of guilt, but admission of wrongdoing or overreach. And his answer is such a non-answer. I don't agree with your description. These are the facts are the facts, Senator. They came in hard. They came in with long guns. And so, I mean, Senator, I'm just I'm just confused. You know, what is it going to take for the fourth branch of government, Merrick Garland in particular, to stop this criminalization of, yes, Christians, of Catholics, of people of faith, and then not enforcing the law for the others, which I think is really important. It's almost anarcho-tyranny, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I tell you what what it will take, Charlie, will take exposure. It will take the constant bringing of these facts into the light, which is why whenever Merrick Garland comes up on Capitol Hill, he needs to get the truth shoved into his face. What these guys try to do is to try to hide it. And they use the corporate media, of course, to help them, which is what you do every day, exposing this. We need exposure. We need to say, these are the facts. Set it out before the American people, because they try to lie about it, dissemble about it. Give you another example. The FBI wrote a memo this year, just a few weeks ago, saying that they really ought to recruit informants, spies, in what they call traditional Catholic parishes. Now, I have no idea what they mean by that, but th- those are their words. Tradi- I suspect they just mean conservative. They want to recruit spies. Why? Because they say, well, these people... They're right wingers, you know. They they could end up being they could end up being domestic terrorists. This is what is going on. Garland tried to run away from that as quick as he could when I brought it up. You got to drag this into the light and expose these people, and and show what they're doing. And when you do that, just like Garland, he had no answer. He couldn't answer the facts because there is no defense for what they're doing. So, Senator, you recently had your bill pass unanimously, which it was surprising to me. You're going to have to explain that to me because I can't imagine Democrats are excited or in full agreement to do this. So I, I maybe was a part of another bill, but the bill was to declassify all U.S. intelligence on the origins of COVID-19. Tell us about that. Well, listen, it's never been more important. The truth is the American people deserve to know what their government has found about the origins of COVID-19 and Charlie, what the government has known for years. Let's not forget that it was two short years ago or less that if you said, oh, I think COVID has a link to a lab, I think COVID is a lab leak, you got deplatformed, you got shunned, you got silenced. The White House had a hit list of people they wanted kicked off social media, including those who said that there might be a lab leak. Dr. Fauci, of course, was, was dismissing anyone who said these things. And then it turns out our own government's intelligence agencies say, oh, yeah, no, no, we, we actually think there is a lab leak. The American people deserve to know what the government knows. Declassify it. That's what my bill would do. And I tell you, Charlie, we, we just put it, I went down to the floor and I said, I am going to demand a vote on this bill. And not a single Democrat wanted to stand up and say no, because they can't say no. How do you mm-hmm. say no to that? And so it passed the Senate unanimously. It will go to the House this coming week, and I've got every confidence the House will pass this bill this coming week 
and we'll send it to the president's desk. Now, is there is there any way the intelligence agencies are able to work around this? I mean, so by declassifying, does that mean that it will be available to senators or will it be public? Um, can you just walk through public. some of the details of that? You bet. Yeah. No, the idea is to make it public. Let wow, the American people terrific. see. You know, the only thing they could do is they, they can, of course, protect their sources. I mean, so you don't have to name which which agent or, you know, which method we, we collected the info from. But frankly, nope, nobody cares about that. What we care about is who, which agencies, FBI, Department of Energy, mm-hmm. who, what do they assess? What do they say are the origins? Put the facts out there because you've got, you've had these government employees like Dr. Fauci who have been saying for years, no way, no lab connection. If you say that you're a conspiracy theorist, you're a, you're a threat if you say that. And as it turns out, we now know from the FBI director, no less, that the FBI has long thought that it was a lab leak. So let's just let the American people see the truth. And also, we, we want to know EcoHealth Alliance's potential involvement, Anthony Fauci's potential involvement. And, you know, it's interesting, Senator, I lost access to my social media, and many other people did, even suggesting that this virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And we, we now know that. I mean, it's all but, you know, yeah. a fact. And... Even the Department of Energy's press release was just so ridiculous. They said we have a low degree of certainty that it's true. I mean, it's just such government doublespeak, right? It's bureaucrat covering for themselves. And so I now want to ask Senator about Ukraine and the situation there. It seems as if the United States continues to funnel billions and billions of dollars. Let me ask you, a Senator, a Senator, do we know how much money we have actually sent there or do we just have a range? Oh, I think it's a range. I don't know what the dollar figure is. And here's the thing I noticed, Charlie. I thought it was like 30 seconds ago that Janet Yellen was saying stuff like, oh, I have to take extraordinary measures or the United States is going to default on its debt. And yet she appears to have plenty of time and money to go over to Ukraine and literally hand them checks from the U.S. Treasury. I mean, that's that's pretty extraordinary. If you ask me, it is not not East Palestine. Unbelievable. But to Kiev. Yeah. Ukraine. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I say, number one. Not a penny more to Ukraine. Number two, we needed accounting for every penny that has been spent. The American people deserve to know every single cent that has been spent. So I've introduced legislation that would set up a special watchdog just for Ukraine. Don't divide it up among 20 agencies who then all point fingers at each other and say, oh, we don't know. Give it to one person, one office. All they do is track the Ukraine money and then report back to the public The American people deserve to know. Coming up, the administrators in higher education. They're not social justice warriors. They are spineless cowards. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment, stay with us. America is giving away its inventions and technology to China. The Chinese Communist Party intends to surpass us and to be the world leader in innovative technology. The shocking new movie, Innovation Race, exposes the potential Chinese takeover of 5G and the Internet, threatening America's economic and military security. Dominating technology means you dominate the world itself. Watch the movie, Innovation Race, now on demand or DVD at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Dwayne Patterson, in for Hugh this week. 
It was in January of 2022, Georgetown University Law Center announced Ilya Shapiro as their incoming executive director for their Georgetown Center for the Constitution. Let's just say it didn't happen. Georgetown, essentially, created an environment that Shapiro could not agree to. It was all about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now Shapiro is an advocate for change. He was a guest of Michelle Tafoya on her Sideline Sanity podcast. Why don't you explain to us, what are you guys really trying to achieve here? Uh, a lot of people, myself included, before I had my whole uh, you know, Twitter investigation with Georgetown, I thought, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. There are these uh, you know, pathologies uh, within faculty, within uh, uh, administrators, student cultures. You know, there's nothing that you can really do. But... The more you look at it, the more you think about it, there, there, there is something you can do because so much of this is driven not by kind of a decades old conservative complaint about liberal takeover of, of the faculties, you know, the Berkeley's from the 60s and, and all of those kind of, you know, boomer concerns, uh, but the bureaucracies themselves. And I think it was a, a, about 15 years ago, maybe a little less than that, where across academia, there started to be more administrators, non-teaching staff than faculty. And especially uh, in the last, you know, five years, that has all been DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which in, in, in a very Orwellian way means the opposite of these great terms, diversity, <laughs> yes. fairness, welcoming, you know, all these things that we should like, but it's not all puppies and rainbows. It's the, it's the opposite of that. And so, we want to think about, we want to change these structures and systems and processes. You know, the, the equity folks, the, 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 the critical studies folks talk about systemic racism and structural this and that. Well, there are structures that are fomenting the, this uh, indoctrination, this radicalization of higher ed. And so forget, you know, setting aside the issue of what classes should be taught or what professors can and can't say and regulating speech, setting that aside, what about the bureaucracies or the 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 uh, the educrats, as I like to call them? Oh, that's and a so, good term. And so this this project, uh, this model legislation, these proposed reforms, we target four areas. And this is, you know, state legislatures who have control. It works differently in different states, but have some sort of control over public institutions can uh, legislate. Uh, so number one, and this is the biggest one, is, as you read out the title of the whole thing, abolishing DEI bureaucracies. That is, removing the positions of people who are not contributing to the educational mission. This is the people who are putting in the, these new indoctrination programs. Uh, they're being hired like all bureaucrats. They're, they face incentives to expand their bailiwicks, to get bigger budgets. And so they, they, they look for dragons to slay. They find evidence of, uh, of racism and sexism and what all these isms where they're not really there. And that really has the effect of chilling speech, of subverting due process, all of these things that we complain about in higher education. So again, get, just get rid of all of those uh, staff that's not contributing to the educational mission. And by Let the way, Michelle, yeah. they're not even succeeding on their own terms. There are climate surveys about whether students feel more welcome, feel more comfortable with diversity. And on all of those metrics, 
across ethnic lines and what have you, they've all gone down since these DEI offices. That are doesn't thrown. surprise me because I would not feel welcome on campus these days. I, I wouldn't, and I'm a Hispanic woman, but I wouldn't. If you are a state, and as you've pointed out, DEI has made it less free. I mean, it's it's just it's become an into it's a it's a sort of this umbrella of intolerance. How do you convince these states that they can slash these bureaucrats? Bills have been introduced in in a number of states. Governors and attorneys general are looking at what they can do through enforcement actions, through executive actions. A few weeks ago, there was a report uh, out of uh, Texas Tech, which is a a, a state uh, institution there, uh, just with FOIA documents that uh, a biology department was hiring based on diversity statements. And one Wall Street Journal op-ed was all it took for the president of the university to say, no, we're not going to do this. We're reevaluating our hiring across all uh, departments. So there's a I, this this gives me hope because I was okay. despairing, not about society more broadly. And we, we can get into this because there's you know complicating <laughs> factors. But higher yes. education is an echo chamber where, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the far left hand is doing. And there's not much of a. Uh, you know, there's there's no critical mass of of n- not even conservatives or libertarians, but non-progressives, and you know, even the boomers are afraid of the next generation and 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 what have you. This is the thing that I've discovered, certainly with my experience in Georgetown with Bill Trainer, the dean of Georgetown Law. He and most university leaders, deans, presidents, provosts, etc., are not uh, woke radicals. They're not social justice warriors. They are spineless cowards. Coming up, these diversity trainings, they are the only way to be anti-racist is to be racist. More with Ilya Shapiro when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Every day we hear news about violent assaults, carjackings, and other acts of crime spiraling across the United States. Washington's answer is to confiscate your guns, but a new book from Regnery offers hope for a better solution. Professional firearms instructor and veteran gun store owner Larry Correa's new book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, pulls back the curtain on Washington's gun-grabbing agenda and how you can protect your rights as well as your family. Yet, In Defense of the Second Amendment, new from Regnery, available at Amazon.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. I'm Dwayne Patterson, in for Hugh. After Ilya Shapiro found himself out of work at Georgetown Law, he eventually landed at the Manhattan Institute, partnering with people like Christopher Rufo, looking for constructive ways to push for reform in higher education. Let's pick up on more of his conversation with Michelle Tafoya and her Sideline Sanity podcast. Well, one that comes to mind or a situation that comes to mind is University of North Carolina right now. So the Board of Regents wants this new sort of department that allows for (laughs) for free thought and debate and civil debate and everything that a university should be in in its own little department. And the faculty is fighting back. Are you familiar with this story that I'm talking about? Yeah, no, it's kind of funny. These these centers, they're, they're called different things. I think I think at UNC it's called the Classical Studies Center or Institute, but uh, basically these these free thinking places are being created that actually embody the original mission of any institution of higher right. education. Right. But they've been so perverted that we need to create special centers. It's like <laughs> at Georgetown where I was hired, I was hired for the Center for the Constitution, and that's such an important body because the rest of the law school 
is a center against the Constitution. And so, yeah, UNC is. Uh, but again, with with public with public institutions, there can be legislative and 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 other uh, uh, public officials uh, providing uh, uh, oversight. A um, little different in, in private institutions, uh, but still. A lot of the private places, including Georgetown, for that matter, have adopted very good speech and expression policies, and then they violate them. And so and they occasionally lose lawsuits and, and things like that. Stanford, another private institution, very elite, uh, put out you know, you know big scandal, made national news a month and a half, two months ago. They're forbidden words and phrases, yeah. things like, uh, you know, color blindness and uh, America. In, in America, everyone can achieve anything because of equal opportunity and uh, people should be judged on their merit. All of these sorts of you know, seemingly innocuous and and you know very good values are uh, were, were forbidden, and and Stanford eventually had to walk that back because of the outcry. So more and more these things are happening. Maybe we've passed peak woke. I mean, don't get me wrong; these bureaucracies are still expanding in many places, uh, and they are still very powerful. Uh, but uh, they're on notice. Maybe, maybe to kind of. <laughs> See what I remember from calculus from 25 years ago. Maybe the uh, the rate of increase has slowed, and maybe eventually we can start uh, uh, reducing uh, the the staff and the programming of this regard. There is a lot that state legislatures can do to reverse the illiberal takeover of higher education through diversity, equity, and inclusion (DEI) offices that ironically, stifle intellectual diversity, pervert equal opportunity, and exclude anyone who dissents from a rigid orthodoxy. All right. And you talked about, number one, abolish DEI bureaucracies. Number two would be ending mandatory diversity training. Who? What's the biggest hurdle to, to ending that? Well, it's, it's the, the bureaucrats that have been hired to develop these <laughs> okay. programs. They have to justify themselves. And so we see uh, implicit bias training, microaggression training, all of these things. This is not, you know, a lot of your listeners might uh, in their offices have to take sexual harassment training and, and things like this. This is not basic training on, you know, the the, the law of the workplace or, or what have you. This is uh, operationalizing some of these radical critical theories, whether it be race or gender or whatever. And, and if ironically, again, creating the very same hostile environment where everyone's on pins and needles and is afraid of doing or saying something and feeling guilty and trying to judge their privilege and all of these things that prevents the organization from, in this case, an educational institution, again, operating as it should be. This is why students and faculty have been reporting in, in surveys for a while now uh, the need to self-censor, that they can't talk about certain topics. And again, this is not just coming from conservatives. This is, you know, anyone, the only the only people these surveys say that, are, that feel comfortable talking are self-identified far left uh, uh, individuals. And so these diversity trainings uh, don't, again, they don't uh, educate people about, you know, how uh, how to prevent harassment, how not to get raped, how not, you know what you know legit, you know, how not to discriminate or something. They are instead these uh, the only way to be uh, anti-racist is to be racist, and all of these just weird uh, illiberal uh, theories. So get rid of them. I, I want to get to this word illiberal you just mentioned because I, I I think it's important that people understand there's liberal, there's conservative, there's illiberal. How would you explain to someone who, who's sort of like, what does illiberal mean? How would you explain it? 
Um, well, it, it, it's opposite to the classical definition of liberal, meaning for individual rights and freedoms, civil discourse, due process, these basic values on which our constitutional order, our social culture is really based. Illiberal is more authoritarian. Things run through a, a political lens of any kind. I mean, you could be right wing, left wing, whatever. And subverting uh, or, or deprioritizing things like free speech and due process in favor of things like equity, equal outcomes, yes. uh, or you know, people uh, being made to, to understand the hierarchy of intersectionality and whose voice matters more or should value matter more, rebalancing, redistributing, uh, whether it's uh, property or power or privilege or what have you. The fact that equity has replaced the word equality to me is is one of the biggest farces in America. I don't understand how people could ever accept equal outcomes among humans who are human. Because we are human, we are all different. We all achieve different things. Some people can sing. Some people can't. Some people can paint. Others can't. How can you possibly expect equal outcomes? My hairline's receding. Does that mean all men have to shave their heads? You know, we may get to that. To what end? I can't imagine. I mean, this, is, this is this is like Kurt Vonnegut's classic short story, uh, uh, Harrison Bergeron, where indeed there was a handicapper in chief that because there were talented dancers, they were forced to wear ankle weights because they're talented singers. They were, you know, some some device on their on their throats and people who who whose IQs were too high had to wear these headphones that uh, you know, distracted them and, and things like this. That's, you know, it's we, we thought it was uh, it was fiction and it's uh, it wasn't meant to be a how to guide. So pillar three yes. is and this is in the news a lot just the last month is ending diversity statements or any other statements of political coercion or uh, loyalty oaths, for that matter. The Supreme Court has said, has long said decades ago that uh, loyalty oaths uh, from public institutions are unconstitutional. I, that's what I, it, it just seems illegal to me to force someone to sign something they don't agree with. Coming up, university officials respond to two things. They respond to donors and they respond to publicity. A few more minutes of Ilya Shapiro and Michelle Tafoya in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Dwayne Patterson. There are a whole host of very serious challenges facing our nation today. The challenge of higher education is just one, albeit a very important one. Do we have grounds for optimism? Let's pick up on that with Ilya Shapiro, guest of Michelle Tafoya. To me, it's just crazy. And, you know, what can you say? I, all of this, I said to you before we came on camera together, Ilya, this seems really ambitious, this whole plan. And you said it is, but you are optimistic. Why? I, I, I'm more optimistic than I was uh, when I joined Manhattan Institute. When I left Georgetown, I thought academia was irredeemable. But, you know, in the long term, it could well be that as ordinary people, normal people who don't spend their lives focused on politics or, you know, living uh, online, as they say, uh, the, the laptop left, as it mm -hmm. were, 
uh, as they pay attention to what's going on and, and they say, well, you know, no wonder those elite institutions are out of whack. It's because they're implementing all these policies that are racialist and just, just, just illiberal, just crazy, as you said. And as more and more people see that, there, there's, a, there's a bit of this emperor has no clothes dynamic because there is an element, and I said this to you before we started as well, there's an element of a paper tiger. So these DEI projects seem just terribly fierce, and it's almost head spinning, you know, how quickly they've come online. You know, I went to law school 20 years ago. We didn't have any of this stuff. It's really been in the last decade. And as I've been doing research for my latest book, which I'm writing now, the working title is Canceling Justice, the Illiberal Takeover of Legal Education. Uh, the, you know, really, it's been in the last few years where you have the growth of the vice president for DEI, the director of diversity, the, all of these types of bureaucratic uh, offices and, and positions. Uh, it could be that uh, to push back on them, it, it only takes, you know, awakening that large plurality in the middle that otherwise just, you know, wants to be there to do their work, to get a job, to get through it, to have fun if you're a college student, you know, all these other priorities that are and, and should be uh, more important than fighting uh, this generation's uh, PC wars, political correctness wars, what we called them in the 90s. Um, so, you know, maybe there, there, there's reason to be optimistic because you, you do see every now and again, and increasingly so, university presidents saying, hold on, they've been shamed. They've been shamed. And as I said, if they're, they, you know, university officials respond to two things. They respond to donors and they respond to publicity. So the more that those dynamics can both be introduced, and I'm trying to do my part to, uh, to shine that light on and to, to get people uh, aware, awakened to, ironically enough, what exactly is, is going on. Thanks for joining us for the Town Hall Review. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pouchon, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Jacob Ordunia, and Adam Ramsey. And let me say once again, thanks to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Dwayne Patterson. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.